this is what we don't seem to understand in the church. We don't understand discipleship, and so therefore, we don't fulfill the Great Commission. Hey, friend. Thank you for joining me. Consider this another bonus episode of Wise Disciple. My name is Nate, and I'm very glad that you're listening. I want to begin by describing two groups of people. You can consider this a tale of two groups. This first group of people, they're gathering together, they're eating food together, they're praying together, they're going into the streets and preaching the gospel boldly to the point where they're getting arrested, they're being ordered to stop preaching the gospel, they're even being killed, but it does not matter. Two things are happening. They're obeying Jesus and his command to make disciples, and their numbers are growing daily. This group, who is sticking together through thick and thin, is getting bigger and bigger. This is the early church in first century Jerusalem. Now, let me grab my remote. Let's fast forward 2,000 years to today. A couple of studies that came out recently show that nearly 40% of Christians today prefer to do their own discipleship alone. Nearly half of Christians feel afraid to speak up about their faith. Nearly half admit that they avoid spiritual conversations for fear of being rejected. Only 19% of Christians actively seek opportunities to share their faith. Christianity in this country is getting smaller and smaller, while the number of people who say they have no faith is getting bigger and bigger. As I consider both of these groups and kind of hold them up together in comparison, a a question immediately comes to my mind, and maybe it's coming into yours. What are we missing, right? What are we missing in the 21st century that the early church was not in the first century? I think a very crucial answer to this question can be found in the scriptures in Luke 640. Would you read along with me? Luke chapter 6, verse 40 says this, A pupil is not above his teacher, but everyone after he has been fully trained will be like his teacher. I'm convinced that this verse is tremendously important, and it was tremendously important for Jesus as well. Why do I say that? Well, Jesus says this to his disciples four times in the Gospels. Did you know that? In Matthew chapter 10, verse 24 and 25, he says, A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a slave above his master. It is enough for the disciple that he become like his teacher and the slave like his master. The other one is in Luke 6.40. Here's another one, John 13.16. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is the one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. And then again, in John 15, 20, Jesus says, remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. Now, each time that Jesus says these things, they're in slightly different contexts, but they point to a principle that Jesus really wanted his disciples to understand and remember. And again, it's really uh, sort of centrally put forth in Luke chapter 6, verse 40, a pupil is not above his teacher, but everyone after he has been fully trained will be like his teacher. Let's just see if we can spend some time in this podcast unpacking some of the truths, some of the wisdom that is within this singular verse. 
Okay, so I'm just going to make some noteworthy observations here, and, uh, and then maybe we can draw some conclusions for us today. The first noteworthy observation is, this verse applies to everyone in the church. Okay, a pupil is not above his teacher. You know, if we look at the Greek word for pupil, right, methetes, we see that it's the same word used for disciple. So really, we should read this verse as saying a disciple is not above his teacher. And that's actually how uh, some translations render it, like the ESV, the NET, the NKJV. Here's something interesting related to that. You remember the group that I was talking about in the first century? You remember that the group that was eating together, they were praying together, they were preaching the gospel again and again and again. Do you realize that they actually were not Christians? To be technically correct, they were not Christians. The word Christian does not appear, did you know this? Until Acts 11.26, when the word is used to describe the church in Antioch. And from what we understand, the term originated from non-believers to describe believers, and it was not meant as a compliment, guys. It was meant to be derogatory. Later in uh, Acts 26.28, Agrippa says to Paul, you know, what are you going to do? Are you going to make me a Christian, Paul, like you? That was very dismissive. Very derogatory. So if this group did not refer to themselves as Christians, this group in the first century, but they're doing wonderful things in the name of uh, the Lord, well, what did they call themselves? Disciples. Look, Jesus didn't even call his followers Christians. He called them disciples. All right? Now, don't get me wrong. I'm, you know, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with the word Christian or, you know, that we shouldn't be using the word. The point that I'm getting at is the body of believers in Jesus in the first century was made up of disciples. And if that was the case then, then it's still the case today. Nothing has changed. That means that if you have professed faith in Jesus Christ, then you are a disciple and Jesus is talking to you. In Luke 640, Jesus is talking to you. He's talking to me. He's talking to us all. Here is a second noteworthy observation to make. Christians don't get to be picky. Okay? A pupil is not above his teacher. Now, spoiler alert, at the end of the verse, our teacher is Jesus. Okay? For those of you that hate spoilers, I'm sorry about that, okay? Uh, But if our teacher is Jesus, that means that we are not above him. And here's the thing, you know, people naturally want to lean away from what is difficult. They want to lean away from what is uh, hard, what takes time, what costs uh, a lot of energy and thought, right? And people want to lean towards what is popular, what is easy, but we cannot pick and choose which aspects of Jesus we want to be like. We must be like Jesus completely. Let me give you an example of this. I, um, I like to throw a good house party. I don't know if you know this. Like, so if you and I became friends, like we met, right? And I invite you over, uh, I hope you realize, like, I like to throw a good house party. If you ever get the chance to come over to my house when I throw a party, then you should know I like to have a lot of fun. 
right? We, we, we get crazy, you know, and at the end of the evening, everyone gets arrested. It's, it's a fantastic time. I just made that last part up. Uh, but, you know, but there, when you come over, there is an unspoken rule in my house, okay? If you are a guest at my party, you have free reign to go into my kitchen. You can grab whatever you want out of the fridge. You can use my guest bathrooms, right? You can go into the backyard. You can do a lot, but do not go into my master bedroom, <laughs> <laughs> okay, because, and, and I get the feeling I'm not the only one, right, that has this unspoken rule. Don't go into my master bedroom because there are certain things that I just don't want you to see. I am picking and choosing where my guests get to go. But the reality is we don't get to pick and choose with Jesus. If you have invited Jesus into your house he has free reign to enter every single room. Christians do not get to pick and choose which aspects of Jesus that they want to emulate. And so that means, I mean, if we look at Jesus as our model, Jesus touched lepers. Jesus wept. Jesus was grieved to the point of death. Uh, Jesus washed his disciples' feet. You realize that Jesus washed Judas's feet? Has that ever, have you, did that dawn on you when you read, it's in John 13, verses 1 through 11. Knowing what Jesus knew about Judas and what Judas was going to do, Jesus washed Judas's feet anyway. What kind of challenging service is that, you know, to us? Think about that. Jesus was mocked. He was beaten, he was killed. If he was willing to be mocked, beaten, and killed, then we are not above being mocked, beaten, and killed ourselves. We don't get to pick and choose whatever is easy and convenient, ladies and gentlemen. And I wonder if in this very blessed and convenient American lifestyle, if we often choose whatever is less challenging and less difficult for our lives, and then we justify it to ourselves later. Friends, I, I, you know, I've heard Christians say, you know, that, that's not my calling. You know what? That, that, that's not my gifting. You know what? This is just not my season. And they say these things all to justify leaning away from what is difficult and towards what is convenient. And you know what? I'm, I'm guilty of seeking convenience as well. But we are not above our teacher. If he did, we can too. We really can. Third important observation here, disciple, and this is a big one, disciples are not merely learners. Okay, look at this, look at this phrase right here. But everyone, this is Luke 6.40, everyone after he is fully trained will be like his teacher. Fully trained, that phrase in the Greek, it means to be perfected. So a couple things come to mind when I see this particular phrase, right? Jesus wants you to be trained, not merely learned. I've heard explanations of discipleship in the past, and they kind of say something like this, you know, well, to be a disciple is to be a learner. And sure, you know, okay, you know, I'm tracking what that's trying to communicate, right? But if we simply say that, we tend to think of learning in the 21st century, 
you know, in, in the way that that is used in our 21st century context. And I think this is where things have gone wrong for us, okay? I, I, I think we're now, we're, we're touching on the answer to the question at the beginning. Remember, the question I asked was, what is it that we're missing in the 21st century that they were not in the first century? Recently, I, I uh, consulted with a parachurch organization that was, they, they were creating technology. It, it was a computer program that was designed to get people to disciple themselves. Did you hear what I just said? The technology was going to facilitate the discipleship process through a series of games and pieces of information to read and videos to watch. But it was all designed so that people could essentially disciple themselves. I gave pushback on that. Because I think that the fundamental assumption that created the program was that discipleship hinges on information. That's not true. It's not true, friends. We already have tons of information. That's not the problem. As a matter of fact, I heard someone say uh, that the average North American Christian is about 3,000 Bible verses overweight. Again, that's because a lot of us have bought into this idea that information is all we really need. See, our way of learning is more in line with the Greeks. The, the Greeks loved knowledge. A, a great picture that captures this sense of their love of knowledge is actually in the book of Acts when Paul goes to Athens. In Acts chapter 17, uh, right there in verse 21, it says, Now all the Athenians and the strangers visiting there used to spend their time in nothing other than telling or hearing something new. Today we would call these people information junkies. And I think a lot of us have become like that today. We've adopted the Greeks' philosophy of learning, and we've let it shape our understanding of Christianity. Many of us think if, you know, we can just learn new pieces of information, we can be a better Christian. And so, yeah, we read the Bible and we learn about that and we listen to good sermons and we learn about that. And then we download podcasts or we watch YouTube videos and we learn all about that. And we keep receiving more information and more information to the point that all we're doing is learning. This is all wrong, friend. A lot of discipleship aims at information, but biblical discipleship aims at imitation. Did you hear what I just said? A lot of discipleship aims at information, but biblical discipleship aims at imitation. There was a book written a while back. It was called Reaching Out Without Dumbing Down. And in it, the author says this, television has habituated its watchers to a low information action ratio, that people are accustomed to learning good ideas, even from sermons, and then doing nothing about them. I think this reveals one of the issues with modern Christianity. We know an awful lot about a lot of different kinds of things. We have knowledge at our fingertips, right? The difference is, we do not obey what we know. Pastor Robbie Gallaty, he says it like this, we have educated ourselves beyond our obedience. 
We have to imitate our teacher. But that means that the dynamic of discipleship is uh, teacher-student, right? Maybe another way of saying that is trainer-trainee. So in other words, if we're going to be trained, right, if that's what discipleship is really after, then it follows that we need a trainer. So who is going to train us? You know, friends, listen, listen to me. We need mentors in our lives. We need a community of spiritually mature people to surround us. We need people who have been around the block a few more times than us, who are actively living like Christ now, that can come alongside us and train us with their collective wisdom. This is why Paul says to the church in Corinth, be imitators of me, just as I also am of Christ. Do you realize what he's saying to them? Principally speaking, he's saying, you know, follow Jesus' discipleship model, right? Imitate me as I imitate Jesus. If people imitate Paul, right? If the church at Corinth imitates Paul and Paul is imitating Christ, do you see that structure? Then ultimately everyone imitates Christ. Here's the last observation. Our training must transform us. God does not desire that we remain the same or that we even approach discipleship as some tool that we can use to fit into our lifestyle. The training that we are to do must transform us so that we are like Jesus. In every day-to-day activity, in all things, we must act like Jesus. We must be bold like Jesus. We must speak like him. We, We must lead like him. And we must obey the things that he said. Jesus said in John 14, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. The disciples' experience in the first century trades on the combination of training and imitation. It is not learning in the sense that we do it today. It's it's ironic. You know, there are a number of jobs today that follow the biblical model of discipleship. For example, I was a public high school teacher for a number of years before I became a pastor. And in order to be a high school teacher, I had to complete my training in grad school uh, to become one. And they, you know, they called it an internship. But what's funny is the process to become a teacher and the process to be an intern, it follows the discipleship method that we find in the Bible. So what I had to do was uh, I had to go into a real classroom And I had to submit myself to what's called a master teacher. The master teacher would teach and I would watch and take notes. And after a while or a duration of time of doing that, the master teacher would then sort of split duties. They would teach part of the time and then I would assist them as they taught. And afterwards we would debrief and talk about things and, you know, what I noticed and what I learned and things like that. And then finally... Uh, after that uh, sort of set duration of time, the master teacher would sit back and let me teach and they would watch me. And if I proved myself to be capable of teaching and handling a class to the master teacher's criteria, uh, according to the master teacher's assessment of me, then I could go off and start teaching my own classes. This is more akin to apprenticeship, but that's discipleship. Okay, it's not a class that you can take where you learn a few things for a couple of weeks and then it's over. 
It's a working relationship between teacher and student that is lived out. It's even acted out consistently. And once this sinks in, friends, that our goal is to be like Jesus, to imitate him, I think that we'll begin to see this concept everywhere in the New Testament. As a matter of fact, for a lot of us, it's going to unlock these biblical passages that maybe we read, but we didn't really understand or appreciate them on a deeper level, or the connectedness that they have to this concept of discipleship. 1 Corinthians 4.16, listen to this. I urge you then, this is Paul speaking, I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ. The Corinthians were to look at Timothy, who was imitating Paul, who was imitating Jesus. So remember that model I spoke of again uh, a moment ago about, you know, when Paul spoke in uh, 1 Corinthians 11, right? He says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Now Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, imitate Timothy. Timothy. Timothy is imitating me, and I'm imitating Jesus. And at the end of the day, all of us will imitate Jesus. Ephesians 5, verse 1, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. Romans 8, 29. This is the, Romans 8, 29 is the ticket to the whole ball game, right? And for many of us, we already love and appreciate Romans 8, 29. But listen to it in the context of discipleship. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. Here is a beautiful promise. If you believe in Jesus, if you are seeking God with all of your heart, if you are obeying what God tells you to do, and discipleship is part of that process, the promise here is that God will change you from the inside out. That is a sweet promise that you can trust time and time again. So let's, uh, let's just take a few minutes and talk about application, okay? What does this look like? This is, if you're me by now, uh, you've got the concept, but now you're starting to think about how to apply this. So what does it look like then to be like Jesus, right? And the answer is we need to love like Jesus. Jesus, again, I mentioned this, John 13, he says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And here's here's the phrase I want you to hear. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And what does it look like when Jesus loved people? Look at the cross, right? 1 John 4.10 tells us the cross was an act of love. It was an act of love that brought Jesus to the cross. Now, here's your question. Here's your application question. Do you love people like that? Are you willing to lay down your life for the sake of others? That's a difficult question to ask. Let me, let me, okay, let me back up. Let me give you an easier application question. In this blessed society, in the 21st century that we find ourselves in, what are we willing to lose for the sake of others? I mean, you know, there, there are no Romans running around. Uh, there's no, there's no cro- uh, crucifixion crosses being posted on the streets, right? Uh, people aren't getting crucified in America today. Uh, what else are we willing to lose? Are we willing to lose our house? Are we willing to lose our jobs? 
Are we willing to lose our paychecks? Are we willing to lose our livelihoods, our reputation? We need to love like Jesus, friends. This is what it needs to be. This is what it needs to look like. Here's something else that we need to do. What does it look like to be like Jesus? We need to pray like him. In uh, Mark chapter 1, verse 35, the gospel author shows us what it looked like when Jesus prayed. Jesus sought solitude. He sought quality time with God, and it was part of his custom to do so. Without fail, he prayed alone to God. He also prayed in front of his disciples, but he would do this on a regular routine basis. Luke chapter 22, verse 39 says that praying was his custom, particularly in this way. Jesus sought solitude. Jesus prayed. Here's another one. We need to serve like Jesus. Again, I'm answering the application question now. What does this look like, right? We need to serve like Jesus. You know, Jesus came to be a servant. In Mark chapter 10, verse 45, he said, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. So I guess the question is, what did it look like when Jesus served? Well, when Jesus washed his disciples' feet, right? Remember, I said, he also washed Judas's feet. Have you ever done that before? Have you ever put yourself in a servant situation in front of a Judas? We must be willing to serve others. We must be willing to uh, be available to, to sacrifice our time and our treasure and our talents in order to serve others. Not simply in popular and convenient ways. We must be willing to serve others, whether it's a friend or it's a Judas. We need to serve in the same way that Jesus did. Here's one that I don't hear a lot of pastors talking about, again, in terms of the application portion. We need to speak more like Jesus. Okay. One of the questions that always comes up with the YouTube channel is, well, what is this YouTube channel about, Nate? And I can guarantee you that one of the ways that I am trying to help people with the videos is to be able to speak more like Jesus. Okay. The, the way that I believe Jesus would have handled these kinds of unique 21st century challenges to the faith, uh, That's what I'm trying to attempt to do on the channel, and I think that we all should do this. You know, we should speak more like him. Uh, In John 7, 46, the officers uh, noticed something about Jesus, and they said about him, never has a man spoken the way this man speaks. The fact is, folks, that when Jesus spoke, he was engaging. People, People flocked to him in droves. You know, when he spoke, they marveled at his authority. They, they sought him out to ask him questions. Jesus was intentional. He, he always saw the opportunity to speak about God. You know, he never accidentally fumbled his way into a situation. You know, when I was a kid growing up, t- tells you how old I am, uh, grew up in the early 80s watching movies and things. There was a popular comedy series of movies that came out called The Pink Panther, you know what I'm talking about? The Pink Panther films with uh, Inspector Clouseau. Inspector Clouseau was this bumbling fool of a man. And he would, what's funny about him is he would get himself into these situations that would clearly was way over his head. 
He had no idea what he was doing. He was faking it. He, he would pretend like he knew what he was doing. And the joke or the punchline at the end of the film was he would always end up uh, figuring out who the killer was or who the thief was and catching the bad guy. But he would always do it accidentally. Like he would, you know, fall backwards down the stairs and accidentally get it right. Jesus is the complete opposite of Inspector Clouseau. He never wandered into a moment and afterwards said, oh my goodness, this must be a God moment. Huh. That was not Jesus. Jesus always saw the opportunity and he took it. There's a very famous line. It's a one-off that Jesus says. If you've ever heard me speak on the YouTube channel or anywhere, I've probably already mentioned this. I'm going to say it again, though. It's John 5, 19. Jesus says, uh, whatever it is that the Son sees the Father doing, the Son also does. How can we have that vision? (laughs) That is quite a challenge, to be so intentional, to recognize the opportunities that are in front of you. You know, many of us Christians, we uh, sort of lament, and it's kind of comical when we say this, but, you know, it's also deeply, deeply true that God invades our schedule. He invades our calendar. Well, he wouldn't if we were sensitive to the hand of his activity and if we were intentional to always uh, be looking for the opportunities that are in front of us. Amen. Finally, Jesus was challenging. When Jesus spoke, he was challenging. Jesus got down to business. He didn't waste his words. He didn't waste an opportunity, as I mentioned a moment ago. He challenged people to wrestle with their beliefs on a large swath of issues. Now, if we're not careful, right, you might, you might click this podcast off and walk away thinking that being like Jesus means reading the Bible, And if we just read these verses, right? So I've mentioned a few verses here, then we're all good. You know, here's my challenge to you. You got to take it further than that. I'm saying that the discipleship structure that we are taught in the Bible that Jesus gave us in Luke 640 is such that once you've read the Bible, you must train to live it out in your life surrounded by spiritually mature Christians who are imitating Jesus day by day. Is this your situation right now? Is this many Christians' situation right now in the 21st century, particularly here where I live in America? Do you see why I'm talking about this? This is what we are missing, unfortunately, in the church. This is what we don't seem to understand in the church. We don't understand discipleship, and so therefore, we don't fulfill the Great Commission. Do you see that? What is the Great Commission, by the way? Here's something else that we tend to get confused by, which, by the way, don't—I want you to hear my heart. I I say this with much love for my brothers and sisters, and a deep, deep concern for all of us— to be doing what we are supposed to be doing, (laughs) what we are meant to be as Christians, right? The motto here at Wise Disciple, we're helping you become the effective Christian that you were meant to be. And so, you know, Wise Disciple exists out of a concern. We're not doing that. We're not doing what we're supposed to be doing. What is the one job Jesus gave us? It's the Great Commission. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And lo, 
uh, I am with you always until the end of the age, right? The Great Commission, in a lot of Christians' minds, is uh, go say certain words to people, and you're done. It's not. (laughs) That's not the Great Commission. The Great Commission is making disciples. Then if you recognize that, if you let that really sink down deep, okay, then the next question is, what is discipleship? And this is what I'm spending time on in this podcast. (laughs) We don't, we have largely forgotten what discipleship looks like, okay? And, And that's the issue. We don't know discipleship, therefore we do not fulfill the Great Commission. But if you train to live out your life surrounded by spiritually mature Christians who are imitating Jesus day by day, here's what this means. You need to regularly attend church where this church has a true understanding of discipleship. These churches exist, guys. They do. If you are not in a situation, if you are not in a fellowship community that understands discipleship, I'm not telling you to leave your church. Not initially. Maybe this is an opportunity. Now that God has brought this podcast in front of you, right? Now that, the, now that you have seen Luke 640 in the way that it should be understood, maybe this is an opportunity that God has presented in front of you to go make some significant changes that are necessary at your church. Okay, so don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying leave automatically, okay? Whatever that looks like, you need to be in regular attendance amongst brothers and sisters who are doing discipleship properly, okay? You need to uh, get involved also with a small group, right? Uh, You need to go deeper. You need to develop closer relationships with people. You need to seek to imitate Jesus. You're looking for a certain kinds of people in this fellowship group. Do you understand what I'm saying, right? If you know someone, particularly in your life, that imitates Jesus well, Go be around them. Ask them, if you feel bold, ask them to mentor you. Let me say this one last time, okay? I need you to hear me. Fight the urge to think that you have learned something interesting just now. That what I said was, you know, something interesting, and you learned it, and that's all you have to do. Because again, you're going you're gonna to put down your phone, you're going to shut this podcast off, and you're going to forget what I said by tomorrow morning. You need to be trained. You need mentors, friend. You need people that you can submit yourself under that can consistently show you daily what it looks like to live like Jesus because that's discipleship. It's being like our teacher. By the way, if we imitate Jesus, if we are like him in the things that he did, guess what? The outward fruit of this will naturally be to replicate. And that means that once you are properly discipled and you develop these skills and these opportunities, you develop uh, maturity of the spirit, then you're going to go out and do likewise. You're going to disciple somebody else. This is the Great Commission. Amen? You see it, right? Hopefully you won't be able to unsee it after this podcast. Um. Okay, here, here was our original question. Let me just repeat it to you so you have it. What are we missing? This is what I asked right in the very beginning. What are we missing in the 21st century that the disciples in the first century were not? The answer rests in imitation. A lot of discipleship today aims at information. Biblical discipleship aims at imitation, being like the teacher. So here's the question. Is your goal to be like our teacher Jesus? 
Have you treated Christianity or discipleship as pieces of information that you can learn on your own, or are you being fully trained so that Christ can live through you? These are the questions that I ask myself every single day, friends, and I encourage you to do the same. Stick with me. This is why Wise Disciple exists. We're trying to think more like Jesus. We're trying to speak more like Jesus. We're trying to act more like him. We're trying to lead more like him. And maybe one day, here's the dream, we can develop a community of activated Christians that can go and be effective in whatever circles of influence that God has placed them. That's my prayer. I hope you can join me in that prayer. If you need any help, friends, I'm here. Uh, Email me at hello at wisedisciple.org. I'm praying for you. And I look forward to chatting with you on the next episode.